You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to our Sunday gathering. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And if you're new with us, if you're a visitor, we are so glad that you're here. We want to confess to you that we are not a perfect church. We do not have perfect leaders nor perfect people in this church. But this is a place filled with sinners in need of God's grace. In fact, that's why we're here this morning, because we realize our need to regularly have our hearts reoriented around Jesus through the Word and through the sacrament. And so we're glad that you're here. Welcome. It's such a a good morning to come and worship. I believe that Jesus is going to meet us this morning in his word uh, with his grace. Two weeks ago, we started a new series in the book of Titus called A Healthy Church in a Hectic World. And Jordan kicked off our series by reminding us that while the church is a mess, both in some ways our church and the church at large, uh, we need the church. And the church needs us. In fact, the church is God's design. It's God's fertile soil that he has given us to grow us as disciples. And last week, we we saw that the church needs healthy leaders, healthy elders. Uh, We talked about qualified voices, humble men who steward Jesus' church and set an example for us to, to live and to walk as the people of God. Elders help keep the gospel clear and central and lead by an example, uh, exemplary life consistent with the gospel of grace. And this morning we're moving into Titus chapter 2. And we're going to be here in this chapter for several weeks. So there's quite a bit in our text that was read today that we're going to unpack in the coming weeks. Today, though, this morning we're primarily looking at uh, Paul's instruction to men. Now, ladies, before you tune out uh, and, and kind of take a break and just maybe get on your phone or whatever, I want, I want you to hang in there with me for a minute because it's important that you too listen to these instructions for men. There's a couple of reasons here. First, a lot of these instructions that uh, Paul is giving Titus have overlap. You're going to see that even these, character, these instructions he gives to older men and younger men, he gave them to elders, and there's even some that he's given to women. So there's quite a bit of overlap in his instructions to these specific groups that he's talking to. So there's things that you can take from that. And then I also think it's important for us to know, both men and women and different groupings within the church, what God has called us, uh, how God has called us each to uniquely live out our calling. And, and, and so it's important for you to know how you can encourage and what you can call men in the church to be and to live. And so here's where we're going to go today as we talk about uh, gospel masculinity. First, we're going to look at how Titus calls men to steward the power God has given them. Second, we're going to talk about the unique challenges facing men uh, in our culture and context. And finally, we're going to see the pattern and power for gospel masculinity is found in Jesus. And here's the big takeaway I want us to walk away with. That gospel men steward their God-given power for the good of others and the glory of God. That gospel men steward their God-given power for the good of others and the glory of God. Let's pray and then we'll jump back into our text. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
we come to you this morning asking you to uh, sharpen us through your word. I pray specifically for the men here that you would uh, help our ears to be attentive to what you're saying. I pray that you'd open our hearts to see um, how our own life has uh, at times fallen short of your call on us as men. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is not shaped by the masculinity of our culture, but the masculinity of the gospel that is given to us in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us, lead us, correct us, encourage us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I want to look back at verses 1 and 2, and then we'll talk about this a bit. But going back to Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, verse 1 reminds us that what we are reading here in Titus is apostolic instructions. This is not a letter that is written to a church, as some of Paul's other letters. This is a letter from one apostolic leader to his teammate, Titus, telling him, this is what I want you to set in order in Crete. This is how I want you to order the church. And so uh, this, is, this is instructions for how the church is to live. And he's instructing him to teach what is in accord with sound doctrine, which means that he wants them to teach these men specifically, and women we'll get to next week, how to behave consistently with what they believe. This word sound here, it gets at the idea of health, of wholeness. It's, he wants, you to, wants them to teach what is healthy in accord with the truth. It's orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And here uh, we get specific instructions for different people in the church. And we begin with the older men. And here's what Paul begins to tell them in verse 2. He tells them several things. First, he tells them to be sober-minded. If you were here last week, you remember that that was a qualification for elders as well. And this idea of sober-mindedness is that they would not be intoxicated. They would not be, have their minds taken away with certain substances. Perhaps in this culture, it would have represented too much drink or, or whatever it is. Maybe for us, it's too much time on the internet or too much entertaining of, of news sources. But it's that they would be sober-minded. Their mind would be set right. He also tells them to be dignified. Right? There's a seriousness to their life. A certain gravity that these older men would have had that demands respect by its mere presence. These men he instructs to be self-controlled. We could say this is prudent or thoughtful in one's actions. And finally, he tells them to be sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Their faith is not infected, it's not diseased with false teaching, but it's, it's based on the truth of Jesus, and it's consistent with the truth of Jesus. Now, the church father Chrysostom points out that these ver- all these virtues listed are to be pursued in contrast with some of the vices that often in this culture beset older men. He says this, there are some failings which age has that youth has not. I wanted to quote Chrysostom on this because I didn't want to call out our older men. I thought he could since he's quite a bit older. Um, but, but he says this, Some indeed it has in common with youth, 
But in addition, it has slowness, a timidity, a forgetfulness, an insensibility, and an irritability. Right? I think of uh, sometimes as 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 men grow older, uh, they don't often. It's not uh, necessary. It's not. Uh, excuse me. It's not uh, assumed that they're going to mature. You think of, I think of the show um, uh, Dennis the Menace. Anyone know Dennis the Menace when they were a kid, right? You know Mr. Wilson? Uh, he's, he's not always the kindest, most gentlest person to Dennis, but oftentimes he's like, Dennis, get off my yard, you know, get out of my yard. He's, he's curmudgeon-y. He's grumpy. He's, 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 uh, he's not a gentle uh, soul to Dennis. And it's not a given that age is going to equal maturity. And so Paul is challenging Titus, hey, Challenge these older men to pursue these virtues in contrast with the culture. We can summarize that older men are called to be relationally mature, dignified models for younger men to look up and grow into. A mature Christian man is sound in the faith, meaning they understand what they believe. They're they're deeply rooted in their convictions about Christ. A mature man is gladly serving others with his life. He's loving others. He's not using his gifts for himself, but he's using his gifts to serve those around him. And a mature man continues to do these things even when life's circumstances are hard. He's not growing bitter. He's not growing. He's not escaping into retirement. He's not, he's not riding off into the sunset and just kind of giving up on the next generation. He's continuing steadfastly to love others, to hold fast to Jesus. Now, there's no doubt that the younger men would have also been called into these things. Um, but Paul recognizes that, that, that growing into a mature man is, is a process. Uh, in fact, in verse 6, he gives the younger men like one simple thing. I kind of jokingly think they were, you know, maybe they were so immature, he's like, just be self-controlled, right? Like, no, I, I think there's more to it than that. But he calls the younger men to be self-controlled, um, to, 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 to learn to not to just react, but to control their urges and desires. And these younger men eventually, hopefully, by God's grace, are going to grow into the same picture that he's given for these older men. And they can learn from them. They can be models of how to grow in Godliness. You see, in God's design, men learn how to be men within their family that is firmly rooted in the fertile soil of the church. And where the family falls apart, because they certainly would have experienced that in this time and in our time, the church steps in so that older men can help younger men grow into maturity in the faith. That they would know this is what it looks like to be a gospel-shaped man. You see, Paul is telling Titus to teach and instruct these things with all authority. He goes on to say that in verse 15. Because this idea, this picture of what a man should be, is not something that men just drift into by nature. And Paul doesn't say, just get their gospel doctrine right, just give them some books and tell them how to be a man. This is something that must be taught. It must be patiently pursued as older men are being models for younger men. It's a process. It's not just getting new knowledge, but it's something that should be instructed with courage and confidence. Gospel manhood must be taught. It must be modeled by older men to younger men. 
It's a process of maturity, of learning to live as a man whose behavior is shaped not by the culture, but by the gospel of grace. Younger men growing up and learning to be uh, gospel men. And as a, as a father of a young man and as, as, a, as a pastor who knows many young men in our church, this task of of helping our, our boys and our young men and our, you know, we don't have all the words that the, that the, in the Greek of, of the different stages of life development, but at every stage, helping men mature is of utmost importance in the church. And, and here's why. Here's why. Because men, God has created you uniquely for a purpose. He has given you power. He's given you power to protect. He's given you power to provide, to work. He's given you power to pastor, that is to praise, encourage, and correct in love and with patience. Man, I want you to know this morning, you have God-given strength, abilities, wisdom, resources, all sorts of power God has given given you to steward. And he's given you unique power separate from what he's given women. We'll talk about women again. Hang in there. We'll talk about this next week. But he's given you unique physicality, a unique biology, a unique way of even thinking and viewing the world. You know, I I thought back to our sermon on the psalm of Aaron's beard. He's given you beard, you know, (laughs) beards. If you missed it, sorry, it's, 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 it's it's gone now. But brothers, whether you realize it or not, God has given you unique power to face the challenges and to live into the calling God has given you. And Paul is concerned with instructing us, with having Titus teach with authority, how we should use that power. You see, in our culture, there's not a lot of talk about masculinity and manhood. Um, oftentimes, it's, it's, it's kind of extremes when we get on this subject. There's, there's kind of two models that, that I see, at least, predominant in our culture. One, I'll say, is, is the macho man masculinity and the, and the model for what men should be, right? This is, this is the, the loud, brash, beer can smashing, gun collecting, ammo piling, wrestling, uh, competing, belittling others with the belief that men are just better. Like you see, you see kind of the generalization here. Like I can't help but, you know, and I don't mean to throw uh, slight stone cold Steve Austin, but I can't think of like him as the, the poster child for this kind of masculinity. I don't know if you didn't see wrestling, I apologize, but and don't go back and watch it. But um, but you see, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin in the ring, smashing a Bud Light on his head, you know, drink, just, ah, you know, pulling the, the Stone Cold stunner on his opponents. I mean, that is kind of the picture of macho man masculinity, you know, and, and that's, I think, in some ways, that's why as a, as a young child or maybe, I don't know, teenager, I, I really resonate. I was like, oh, that, I want, oh, that kind of power, right? That kind of man. We see this macho man, masculinity, at work in our culture. And many are aspiring and, and, and believing that this is what a man should be. You see, the macho man recognizes God-given power, but the power is used to puff up the macho man's fragile 
ego. And so the outward actions, the outward exercise of being a man and using the tools and the gifts God has given, the stewardship of this power is all about puffing up this macho man's image and ego. You know those Christmas decorations where you, you know, for, for dads like me that don't like climbing on the roof and doing the lights, I found that I can like, uh, get, you know, I can buy my kids off by saying, well, what if we just get the blow up, you know, Santa Claus and put him out in the yard? And they're like, okay, right? You know what I'm talking about? These big ornaments that you can puff up and it kind of decorates your yard and you can get a snowman or a Santa or whatever. You know, the macho man ego is much like these. It, it, it's, it's just a bunch of air. It looks way bigger than it is, but whenever it deflates and it comes down, you can, like, you can shrink it down into you know, like a little box this size and put it away. The macho man masculinity looks big and bad on the outside, but internally it's just a scared little boy. And the more insecure, the more air they must inflate into the costume, the more chest pounding they must do to prove to themselves that they're something. Family, this isn't gospel masculinity. This is selfish ambition and pride. These men are harsh fathers demanding compliance to their will. These men are jerks to anyone who gets in their way. And in the end, they leave a trail not of others flourishing, but of relational carnage behind them. Rather than protect, they control. Rather than provide, they attach strings. And rather than pastor, they plow over others. This is not what the scriptures are calling men to. This is not what Paul is instructing his churches, uh, these older men and younger men to be. And there's a second, I think, cultural, uh, maybe even a response to the macho man uh, idea of masculinity that I want to address as well. And I'll call this pain avoidance masculinity. There are some men, rather than puffing up like macho men, they've simply bowed out. Rather than overpowering others, rather than asserting their, their, their God-given gifts, they've simply given up. They would, in rather in, they would rather escape than endure the pain of fighting the good fight. They've grown comfortable in passivity with complying with whatever, wherever the winds of culture blow and settle for finding pers- purpose in the trivial pursuits and pleasures of this world. These men can be at home with their family all the time, but they're not present. Rather than leading those around them, they simply go along to get along. And ultimately, they are men who choose the path of least resistance. We need a better model for what it means to be a man, particularly a gospel-shaped man. And listen, I get it. There's a lot of baggage in our culture because of these things. When we start talking about masculinity and gender, everyone kind of freaks out, and you go to maybe one of your two extremes, and we start getting nervous. Listen, I understand it. There's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of evil and wicked men who've caused a lot of pain. But we don't need men to be more like women. And we don't need men to be just whatever they dream or whatever makes them happy. We need men to be more like Jesus. We need mature gospel men who model for younger men what true manhood really is. And Paul knows it's critically important to the health of families and to the health 
health of God's family that the church, in, in the church that men courageously and humbly steward the power God has given them. Fathers, I want to address you for a minute. Do you realize the power God has given you over your children? Just a few days ago, a simple example, I was, uh, I was in the garage getting something, and, and this is all a common annoyance in our house, and one of the kids somehow locked the door to the garage before I could come back in, and, and I go to the garage, and I just start beating on the door, I'm like, let me in, right? And I'm like, who did this, and who, I can't, you know, I'm kind of I'm yelling because I want them to hear me, also because I'm irritated, and I'm like, don't you lock the door on me, you know? And Lauren kindly, uh, my wife Lauren kindly calls me, and she's like, hey, I I think you're a little intense about like just the door being locked. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. How I use my power is important. I can beat my chest. I, I, can, I can scare my kids. But how, my, how I use my power is important. Dads, when, when your kids mess up, when, when they're in a vulnerable time where they've, they've blown it or they've, they've sinned or they've, they're expressing weakness, how will you exercise your power towards them? You're going to come in beating your chest. You're going to hurt them. You're going to destroy their little hearts. You're going to discourage them. I know many, so many people today, even maybe some of you in this room, are struggling today with God's love for you because you experienced that from someone in power. At the same time, fathers, he's also called us not to just be aloof and be distant from what's going on with my kids. I know that, especially in today's media age, when my kids are, you know, they don't have, all have their own devices, but when they're messing with devices and, and talking with friends, if I'm just tuned out over here, escaping into my little bubble, and I don't know where their hearts are, you better believe there's other voices that will creep in and, and vie for their affections. This is something for me that right now I'm constantly having to watch. I have two daughters, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm realizing I have to date my daughters. I have to pursue their hearts. I have to show them what a godly man looks like, because if I don't, there's going to be men, evil men, whose voices will creep in at some point. And I need them to know that they are loved and secure. They don't need that affection from dangerous places. Fathers, do you know your, your power? Are you, are you exercising the God-given gifts he's given you to, to be an influence for good on your children? We could go other on your spouse, on your wife. Do you know the power of your encouragement to her? The power of you choosing the way of Christ and the promptings of the Holy Spirit to just step in and help sometimes, right? To say, hey, I'll do that. I'll do those dishes. I'll, I'll carry this weight. I want to use my strength for your good. You know, single men, you know, uh, do, you, do you realize that with your time, it's not just, it's not just about you pursuing your hobbies and, and whatever you want. In fact, if you're single, God's given you extra capacity to pour out further to his church, to the bride of Christ. Those of you men who, who don't yet have kids, you know, I know some of my examples were for parenting, but, but as you're seeing and watching, are you, are you wanting to learn from other older men how to, how to be a dad one day or how to be a husband and navigate the, those tricky waters? God didn't design you to learn these things alone. He designed it to be taught in the context of your family rooted in the local church. 
And where there have been gaps in some of our learning to be gospel men, we need to find other men in the church who can model that for us. When you see men who are exhibiting these characteristics of, of, of you know, their sound and their faith, they're steadfast. They're not the most charismatic men. They're not the most you know, exciting men, but they're steadfast. And they're gentle. And you say, hey, I feel safe sharing with this guy that I don't know, I need to learn this skill. Or I need to learn about this particular way to navigate conflict in marriage. Younger men, are you pursuing older men, older models to help you grow up as a gospel man? Younger men, have you learned from godly men how to steward your power? It starts with learning self-control. Younger men, I think that, that, that Paul uh, put this in here. Not, maybe he didn't know our particular struggle, but it's important for us. We live in, a, in, a, in an age where pornography is rampant, where, 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 you, where self-control is, is sometimes just being able to put your phone away, not look at that image. Are, are you going to older men who are mature, who have fought those battles, who can help you fight the battle of addiction, who can help you? Are you, can, are you telling them, hey, I need help here? Because I don't have self-control. And I need to grow in that. Let me me tell you, you weren't made to fight that battle alone. You were made to fight that battle with other brothers, more mature brothers who can help you learn self-control. Let these older men speak into your life. It's not going to be instant growth. It's not natural. It's not what we drift towards it's not just knowing what to do. It's having people walk alongside and teach and instruct and model. This is the way that Paul is instructing us. And finally, I want to, I want to close with this. Um, in all of this, men, grace is going to be our trainer. <laughs> I love, we didn't read this part, but I'm going to read it for us. Grace is our trainer. Look at verses 11 through 15 of chapter 2. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." I love that it says here that grace is training us for godliness. In all of this gospel masculinity talk, it's grace that is our trainer. It's Jesus appearing who is both the pattern and the power to be a gospel man. You see, Jesus, when he appears, as, as Titus tells us, it is not to use or puff up his own ego It is not that he would just uh, accept the comfort and painless life of, of heaven, but that he would come and live a perfect life, perfectly submitted to the Father. He would lay down his power, not for his ego, but for the good of his bride. He would use his power so that others, us, his bride, may experience life, experience forgiveness, and so that ultimately his Father may be glorified. 
Men, this is gospel masculinity. This is what Paul is concerned with, with Titus instructing older men and younger men to live into, courageously embracing your God-given power so that you might pour it out in love to your family, to your church, to your neighbor, for their good and for God's glory. This is the purpose that God has gifted you, brothers, is so that you might lay down your life, pour it out so that for the good of others and the glory of God. Let us not be ashamed of this calling. Let us not be shrink, shrink back from it. Let's not just let us use our abilities and our gifts to puff up our ego, but let us lay it down. Let's work hard with the gifts we've been given to provide for our families and others. Not just chasing our selfish pursuits. Let's be engaged and protect our children from dangerous voices by being present and attentive to them. Let's pursue our wives as servants ready to help. Let's lead them to God's word and regularly to worship on Sundays. Men, let's not make our wives drag us to church. Let's not make our wives drag out the Bible at home. Let's be the ones who say, okay, let's go. Let's go to God. Use your voice. Use your power. Use your skills for the good of others and the glory of God. I want to close with this. I want to remind you that this is a journey. This is a process. This is a path that we're on as, as men in the church. It's something we need constant training and help with. And along the way, even this morning as we're talking about this, we will see gaps. Last week when we talked about characteristics for elders, I was sitting right over there and I thought, oh, I see gaps in my own leadership. As you're hearing instructions for men, you're going to realize, oh, I see gaps in my maturity as a man. And here's the thing. Along the path of mature manhood, God is okay with gaps, but here's what he wants you to do with them. He wants you to repent. He wants you to say, I acknowledge God, there is, there is a deficiency in my manhood. <laughs> There's a deficiency in my behavior that isn't consistent with what I believe to be true. And I want to turn from that, receive your grace, and ask you to help me. Ask you to fill me with your spirit. Not bowing up with pride like we can do it, but God, fill me with your spirit so I can be a good steward of what you put in my life. And part of that repentance, man, might mean that you, you quit trying to do it alone and you seek out a pastor or a brother in this church who's a few steps further along in the journey and you say, I need help. I need someone to walk with me. Maybe you've been in gospel community with some of these men, but it's just been kind of casual. Let this be the, the impetus to say, hey, brother, I, I, I want to walk closer. I, I need to grow up, and I need help. And I know that God is gracious, so I can be honest. I can be forgiven where I've failed and where I will fail, but I want to grow. I think that's the response that we have when we see the gaps. We repent, and we turn to Jesus, and we, when we grow up in the fertile soil of the church. So I want to pray over us, uh, men, and women, I want to ask you just to, to join me even in praying for us uh, as, as this task is difficult. But I just want to pray that God would uh, grow us, especially the men in our church, to own our gifts and to steward them with courage, to steward them as Jesus stewards his gifts. Let's pray. 
Father, I know there are many here today who are struggling, maybe who've been hurt by macho man uh, masculinity, maybe who are prone towards uh, just pain avoidance, and yet we see you as one who was all-powerful, and yet you did not shy away from pain. You didn't shy away from the pain of loving to the point of shedding blood. And we want to come after you. We want to be men who reflect the glory of Christ to our families, to our church, to our city. So Holy Spirit, I I pray right now that for those who are yours, you would begin to fill them with your spirit. That you would not condemn us, that you would not uh, lead us to puff up, but you would lead us to, to lower our hearts and be filled not with pride, but with the spirit of Christ. Pray that for dads, that they would, you would help them to steward that role, steward that calling you've given them. For younger men, that you would give them hope and courage of self-control. That they would seek out help to grow up into maturity. Lord, we pray for our young boys in this church. And I pray that where, 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 where dads are absent, even in our city where dads are absent, you would help other men to step in the gap so we could help these young kiddos see what it means to be a true man of God. We need gospel men in the church. So Jesus, we pray that you would help us. Fill us with your spirit. More of you, less of our ego. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.